please turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through to 13. The title of my sermon is Shamelessness in Prayer. Shamelessness in Prayer. Having already spent several weeks in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through to 4, looking at what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, we shall continue with the subject of prayer as we move on to the the next verses, verses 5 through to 13. And there are three natural divisions in our passage. First of all, in verses 5 through to 8, The Lord Jesus Christ starts not so much with a parable, but more precisely with an illustration to instruct his disciples. Let's have a look at that illustration in verses 5 through to 8. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet Because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So that's the illustration. Then in verses 9 and 10, there is more instruction on the same subject matter, but without an illustration. Let's carry on now and look at verses 9 and 10. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you, seek, and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Thirdly and finally Jesus concludes with another illustration in verses 11 through to 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit, to them that ask him. Starting with the illustration that Jesus gave in verses 5 through to 8 about the visit at midnight, God's law places upon you a duty to love your neighbour as yourself. The thing is that we all transgress or break God's law and that is because We are all sinners. Again, there is none good. No, not one. We have all sinned and we all come short of the glory of God. That is precisely why the Son of God 
the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. Despite man's sinful condition, we do nevertheless exercise varying degrees of patience and niceness to other people. It can be quite difficult, but we somehow, well, we, we manage it because of God's restraining grace upon us. We do it all the same. Especially to our family members and friends. But how would you feel if even a close friend of yours knocked on your door at midnight when you were tucked up in your bed and so too were your, your children and what he or she asked for wasn't even a matter of life and death? In the illustration that the Lord Jesus Christ gave, the friend came round asking for some bread. It wasn't three three loaves of bread that you or I might buy in the in the shop. Just three little flat um, pieces of bread. Not even to satisfy his own hunger. That's not why he asked for that bread. It wasn't for him. It was to set before a third person whom the man who was asked to supply the bed, the man who'd been disturbed when he was in his bed, didn't even know. He was being, he was woken up and asked to provide bed, dread rather, for someone he didn't even know. The man who had been disturbed said, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are in bed, with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Clearly he did not want to get up. But even so, those reasons that he gave were rather trivial. Clearly, he didn't want to get up and give what his friend asked for, but he did all the same. His unwelcome friend's importunity triumphed over his own reluctance, his selfishness and his unfriendly excuses for not getting up out of his bed. We're told that it was because of his friend's importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. It was the importunity, as I have it in my Bible. That doesn't mean that he responded because of his friend's persistence. You may think that his friend was persistent, but that's not what is being said there. Although the friend may well have been persistent in knocking on the door, he may well have been persistent in calling through his letterbox. I don't know. But that is not what we're supposed to be considering here. Importunity is not a particularly accurate translation. You may have something different in your own version of the Bible, I don't know. Therefore, it would seem that the poor, well, the original rather, the original Greek word that has been translated importunity is better translated shamelessness or impudence. Shamelessness or impudence. Therefore, it would seem that the poor fellow dragged himself out of his cosy bed and gave his friend what he asked for because his friend had the audacity and the daring to disturb him by knocking on his door at such a ridiculously late hour to ask for something so meagre. The friend, the man's friend had no shame about bothering him in such a way and for so little. He was stretching friendship way too far, but he succeeded all the same because 
of his shamelessness, his audacity, his daring. Secondly, we are to ask, seek and knock. Moving on to the further instruction in verses 9 and 10. Let's read them again. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. An easy way to remember ask, seek and knock is to note that the first letters of those three words spell ask, don't they? But you probably figured that one out for yourselves anyway. Bearing in mind that the illustration was not about being persistent, there will be teaching about being persistent in prayer in chapter 18 when we eventually get to it, God willing, if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't come in judgment first, but you wait till chapter 18 for instruction on being persistent in prayer. Again, this the illustration was about being shameless and even impudent in your prayer, being daring. What Jesus is saying in verses 9 and 10 as he continues with his instruction is that you are to be daring and audacious enough in your prayers to seek when you ask and to knock when you ask and when you seek. All three actions amount to the same thing. It's just that seeking is more intense than asking and asking is more intense. Uh, And Let's get this right. And asking is more intense than simply knocking. But they all amount to the same thing. It's just the intensity that differs with the knocking being more intense than the seeking and the seeking being more intense than the asking. Therefore, when you ask for something in prayer, do it truly believing that what you are asking for shall be given you. So much so that what you seek, you shall find. So much so that when you knock, it shall be opened unto you. Don't do it half-heartedly when you pray. Pray. Whatever you're praying for, do so as if you really mean it. And you, and you believe that God is able to answer your prayer. Thirdly, Jesus concludes with another illustration. And in this illustration, a son asks his father for three things. First of all, in verse 11, Jesus says to the fathers that Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. And he says to the fathers amongst his, his disciples, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Most likely the answer to that question is a resounding no. If a father's son is hungry and the son asks for some bread, his father is hardly likely to cruelly mock him by giving him a stone instead of bread. And I trust you can appreciate that, even if you're not a father. That doesn't alter the fact that people can be very cruel 
and that is because they have wicked hearts. For example, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, he was mocked by the crowd. Additionally, we are informed in Luke chapter 23 and verse 36 that the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar when he was thirsty. If wicked people crucified the sinless Son of God and mocked him, don't put it past fathers to cruelly mock their own children. Even so, with God's restraining grace working in people, if a son were to ask his father for a fish, perhaps to eat with bread, it would not be an unreasonable request, especially in a coastal area like Galilee. And his father would be most unlikely to give him a serpent instead of bread. And to complete the meal, if the son were to ask his father for an egg, is his father likely to give him a poisonous scorpion instead? Of course not. Let's have a look at verse 13. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Let's remind ourselves here, to whom was Jesus talking? To his disciples. He was talking to his disciples. Yet for all that, what did he call them there? In verse 13, if ye then, being evil... It's there. It's there in verse 13. He called them evil, his own disciples. Years later, another disciple of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, acknowledged that to be the case with himself. He said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good Thing. Here we go again. I've, I've said this a few times today, haven't I? There's none good but God. And Paul said, that great apostle, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. O wretched man that I am. Christians in here. Would you be greatly offended if Jesus called you evil? Or by the grace of God, would you acknowledge that in your flesh dwelleth no good thing? It takes a born again Christian to make that acknowledgement about the old sinful nature that he still has. Even though the old sinful nature no longer thoroughly dominates him as it once did. But it's still there. I know that about myself. As for unbelievers, people who have no interest in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Saviour's blood, they are likely to be too deceived by their own wicked hearts to ever make such a frank admission. And they will be offended. How many times have I offended people by telling them that they are sinners? I don't do that because I get any pleasure out of it. 
It's because I want them to turn to Jesus and trust in him as their saviour. More generally, what Jesus is saying to you in verse 13, dear Christian, is that if you can give good gifts, even though you are evil, how much more will your heavenly Father, who has loved you with an everlasting love, give you the Holy Spirit, which doubtless means that he will give you the infinitely greater gifts and graces of God, the Holy Spirit, in order for you to do what? To live a born again life for the glory of God. That ought to give you some idea of the nature of the things that you might desire to ask your Heavenly Father for when you do so earnestly, <coughs> shamelessly, boldly asking for those things. As Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, again he was speaking to his disciples when he said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added to you. Do you seek after such things when you pray to your heavenly Father? Do you pray for God's enabling grace for you to keep your focus on Jesus and for you to have an ever closer walk with Jesus do you pray for God to work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure and for you to forsake the evil things of this world to love the things that God loves to hate the things that God hates to be salt and to be light in this world I could go on, but I'm sure you get what I mean. Coming back to where our passage started, with someone being disturbed at midnight and after making various excuses, rising from his bed and giving his unwelcome friend some bread for someone whom he didn't even know because of his friend's audacity and shamelessness in asking, Dear Christian, God is not just a friend. He is your heavenly Father who so loved you that he sent his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world and God laid upon him your iniquity. I don't know how many times I've said that. I say it because I marvel at that. To think that God laid upon his Son your iniquity if you are trusting in Jesus if you are baptised in Jesus and clothed in him. I could, I just, I can't get over it. God laying upon his son, your iniquity. That should dictate what you earnestly, shamelessly ask for when you pray to God. As it is written, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation refers to Jesus appeasing God's holy and righteous anger towards you at the cross. 
The man tried to wriggle out of helping out his friend who knocked on his door when it was late and when he was in bed with his children. When it comes to praying to your Heavenly Father, there is never an inconvenient time. That doesn't mean to say that God will straight away give you whatever you ask for, whenever you ask him, like some magic genie in a film. Not at all. Far better than that. God will answer in his perfect time. It might be straight away, but maybe not. But you can be sure it's in the best time because it is God's time. In his perfect way, according to his good pleasure, for your good and, most of all, for his glory. And when you pray to your Heavenly Father, do not do it half-heartedly, as I've already said. Do not do it without really believing that you will get what you are asking for, unless, of course, your prayer is selfish and inconsistent with the glory of God. Be fervent in your prayer. Ask, seek and knock, believing that it shall be given you whatever you are asking for. Finally, when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, it was emphasised that it was given by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, that is, to Christians. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, make that very clear that it is a prayer for Christians. After all, it is only someone who has received Jesus as his saviour from sin and believed on his name who can legitimately address God as Father. Others may think they can, but it is those who receive Jesus and believe on his name. He gives them the right, the privilege, the power to become the children of God. Jesus does. Faith in Jesus. In the same way, Jesus is saying to all of you, as he does in the, in the Lord's Prayer, who know God as your Heavenly Father, to pray to your Heavenly Father at any time, any place, anywhere, and your asking should be a seeking, and your seeking should be a knocking, and you can be sure that provided what you ask for is in accordance with your Heavenly Father's will, He will give you the spiritual gifts and the grace that you are asking for and that will glorify him. That doesn't mean to say that praying to God and receiving from him are completely irrelevant to anyone in here who has not been baptised into Christ, who has not put on Christ, who is not trusting in Jesus. It doesn't mean to say you can switch off and none of this applies to you. You can and you must seek forgiveness as a repentant sinner. Believing that the Lord Jesus Christ, having lived a perfectly sinless life, that you have failed to do, paid the debt of all your sins at the cross. God will hear that kind of prayer and you will receive from him every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, such as salvation from sin, everlasting life and the assurance that when you die, you will go to be with Jesus 
where he is to behold his glory. Amen.